Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. It is Pastured Pig Podcast time again. Excited to be back with uh, another episode, what I hope is to be a, another great episode. Um, you know, it's it's one of these things you, you get in the mood right now with the the weather playing tricks on us here in, in West Virginia. You go from cold to warm. Uh, one day, you know, sh- shirt sleeves. The other day, um, heavy coat. But man, I'm getting I'm getting excited. The bug is the bug is in. It's it's time to get out and and really start uh, being being on the land and, and working the things, not working mud as much as we were. So anxious for that. Really looking forward to moving our pigs to some new pasture. We've got some that uh, obviously we didn't have them on over winter. They were in the sacrificial area, so it's nice to get them uh, get them over on some new pasture when things start to green up. So really looking forward to that. Well, as another thing that I'm excited about is our lineup of interviews. I've I've got some in the bag already that uh, we'll release in a timely manner, but I'm just so excited I want to release them all. It's like, let's just do one right after the other, but then obviously I'd have a very big hole uh, a couple weeks later. So we don't want to do that. We want to be diligent and we want to pace ourselves. This is a marathon, not a sprint, but uh, I, I hope you're enjoying these. We got some uh, some really good ones where we're, again, talking to producers but got some got some different ones that are coming up with uh, uh, people in the industry, but from a different perspective. So I think you'll uh, appreciate that as we get into it. Uh, speaking along those lines of topics for podcasts, right now I'm kind of doing an APB on if somebody has a lead on a veterinarian that they recommend, or maybe they even use. It'd be best if they use them so they could speak from experience. And that veterinarian be willing to come on the podcast, or if you just want to give me the contact info and you don't mind me reaching out to them, I'll try to explain um, the most uh, the, the most agreeable way. You know, some stranger calling him and say, hey, "Do you want to record a conversation?" Um, but I'd really like to have a discussion of uh, with somebody who does treat pastured pigs. Uh, as a vet and, and would love to have their experiences. We talk about some specifics. You guys have been sending in some great questions that I would field to that vet. So uh, that'll be the first step. If we can get one nailed down and I can get an interview scheduled, then uh, when I do these intros in between interviews for upcoming episodes, then I'll, I'll let you know, hey, I got one booked. Uh, let's start sending questions. And that way we can really, um, if there's any specific things you'd like to hear from a vet, if you're like me where you're in a... Um, you're in a vet desert, <laughs> you really don't have a lot of options in your area, then this may be an opportunity for you to ask a question that uh, you've been wanting to know for a while. Well, I, I would be remiss. It's it's like uh, public broadcasting fundraising, I guess. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Patreon. Appreciate, uh, since we launched, those that have joined Patreon to be part of our support here so we can really take this to the next level. And I want to give a shout out to... Um, Jed Bicker and Dana Probert and Noah West and Bill Speed and then our latest that just came on this week, Dan Poietti. Man, I hope I didn't slaughter that last name. I think I'm terrible at name pronunciations, but I really appreciate those people coming on supporting you, taking that first step. Uh, We are still sticking with our plan. When we hit 20 supporters, then we will launch uh, some more of our online stuff with the, um, the website, 
and, and the directories and those type of things. So uh, I think that would be beneficial for us all. So I, I hope that um, if, you, if you can, please consider becoming a supporter. It's my understanding that Patreon only bills your credit card at the beginning of the month. So you can sign up and obviously not, not pay until April the 1st. How's that for a marketing ploy there? Um, along those lines, I've uh, been talking with these people already, uh, getting some ideas going about just what would be beneficial for the Patreons to, for me to say thank you for supporting us. What can we do? And, and, I, and I think what we've gone into, and we'll start this in April, is uh, anyone that supports at any level will have access to some additional recordings. I would assume they would, uh, what I'd call additional podcast episodes, where uh, we take a deep dive into marketing and some of the business setup when it comes to pastured, uh, pastured pork operations. Uh, we'll still obviously keep doing our interviews. We're, we're not going to slow down there. We're going to release interviews every other week. So those of you guys that can't or just not in a position right now to be a Patreon supporter, we understand. I don't want to take anything away from what you've experienced with the podcast in the last two years. We just want to add, you know, add additional value, as a marketing guy would say. So this value-added opportunity that we'll have if you become a Patreon supporter is uh, a deep dive into marketing. And, and I've uh, with 20 years of marketing experience, I started listing off things and realized, oh my goodness, this could literally take the next three years if I you know, get on and talk about all the things that I'd like to talk about. But uh, we'll not go that long, but we are going to into, drop into specific topics that are, are very timely. Everything from how to even start with cost analysis, pricing your product, uh, to you know the full-blown setup of of uh, online marketing, AdWords, those type of things. What do you do to go out and acquire new customers? So if you become a supporter, like I said, in April, we'll start dropping those episodes. And that'll be behind the paywall there uh, for Patreon. But that's my way of, of, of thanking those people that have come to support just to see this, uh, this community grow and us build the uh, podcast a little bit more. All right. Well, I have done the sales pitch enough. Let's move into our discussion for tonight. And this one... I really enjoy talking to everybody, and, and I, I think I say this like a broken record. I probably should just pick up a recording and, and say this over and over again, but I really enjoyed this conversation with uh, Patrick Milligan, and Patrick has a very interesting story, as you'll get into when you listen. He was he was a DJ, and then COVID hit, and then he transitioned almost immediately to a pastured pig farmer, and that is the most bizarre transition I believe I've ever heard but uh, I won't give any more away I'll let him say it in his own words but it, <laughs> it was really really fun talking to him of course we we even started riffing on some ideas that you could do got all this DJ equipment and all these hogs how do we how do we do a mashup here <laughs> so, well without further ado we'll jump into this conversation with Patrick and I'll catch you guys on the close uh, tonight we're reaching across the country going all the way over to New Mexico and we're talking to Patrick Milligan from Stanley, New Mexico, and he has MilliganRanchNM.com. Milligan Ranch, I assume, in New Mexico is, is that proper name there. So, Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having us join you. All right. So, New Mexico. This, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated. I know people think, okay, Troy always asks about weather first and foremost, but I'm always fascinated by all the different uh, weather patterns you get across this beautiful country. So, you mentioned in some of your, your pre-screening information you sent me that 
New Mexico, you get to ex- you still get to experience four seasons. But I think in New Mexico, I think of high elevation desert. So explain that situation for me right now as, as to what you get to experience there. Absolutely. So um, we do have all four seasons. Um, there's actually standing snow um, outside right now. So uh, we do get um, all the normal, you know, of uh, most states, uh, rain, sunshine, snow. We pretty much get it all. We are at a higher elevation as well, too. But most people, when they think of New Mexico, they think of just, you know, desert. But we do have all the seasons. Uh, we do have forests in our mountains as well, too. So we have a little bit of everything here. All right. Excellent. Excellent. So if you don't mind me asking, how, many, how much elevation are we talking here? Uh, I want to say we're at about like 38, I want to say, 38, 36 is the elevation, so quite a bit up there, a lot of people, uh, when they travel here from uh, sea levels, uh, they do get a little bit of uh, altitude sickness as well. So is that a potato chip buster? That was the only thing that cracked me up, I had a friend that lived in New Mexico, and and he was a um, he was a solar I don't know what he was a solar observatory type thing, and uh, he'd always talk about when they go down to town because the observatory was at ten thousand feet or somewhere around in there, and when they go down to town, uh, much much lower in elevation, bring potato chips back, they'd have to open the bags up because they'd explode in the car. Um, I've heard of that. <laughs> I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was well, fascinating. <laughs> I don't I don't know from experience, uh, but I have heard of that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy stuff. Well, yeah, the things the things you learn on the Pastor Pig podcast of exploding potato <laughs> Right. All right. So tell me about Milligan Ranch. Okay. So um, we're actually located in uh, Stanley, New Mexico. Like as you said, um, we do pasture raise our pigs. Um, we are a desert region, um, but like I said, we do get all the seasons. So we are raising. Um, they're a mixed breed of Hampshire and Duroc that are mixed. Um, I want to say total right now, we're at about uh, 62 pigs right now, besides the ones we've had processed throughout this year. So uh, we're running about 62 pigs on uh, 80 acres right now. Okay. And you are a farrow to finish operation? We are. Okay. All right. Well, before we get into more details about the farm, I have to, I think the audience is really going to appreciate this, this story because uh, this is the resiliency of a good pig farmer when it comes to COVID and some of the other issues. So Patrick, you, um, without getting into the gory details, you are using your pastured pig farm to be the primary source of income for your household, correct? That is correct. And why is that? Why, and that just happened this year, but why is that due to COVID? Um, because I do have a, another business as well too. Um, one of the leading uh, DJ entertainment companies here in New Mexico that we specialized in uh, weddings and corporate events. Um, when COVID came around, we got some pretty strict orders from our governor, governor here, and she pretty much shut everything down to uh, no gatherings of uh, five to ten people max. So uh, we were out of work since March um, with us being in agriculture. We were able to take pretty much um, profits that we still have from the DJ business and really invest into that, into our marketing to really push our, our pasture pork and all that, which has been very successful. There was a big need that we didn't even know that there was that big of need for it, and it was able to fill in that income gap for us. Okay. Okay. So I, I have to ask the question. I think a lot of people are probably asking their, uh, their radios or their iPads or iPhones or whatever they listen to it right now. So... 
COVID hits, you have a very successful DJ business, one of the largest in New Mexico. You, you stated in your pre-screening stuff, 12 employees. So you see COVID hit, yeah, that rest restrictions hit real quick, and it's like, oh, this is going to cripple our business. You know what we need to do? We need to raise pigs. So how did, how did you come? How did you come to that rationale? There were you already in the pig business to some degree, or was that just the next logical step? We were in the pig business um, <laughs> to some degree. Um, it was actually started off as raising potbelly pigs. Oh yeah, okay. I was actually first um, adamant against pigs to begin with, believe it or not. And um, my wife picked up uh, some potbelly pigs and uh, started breeding those. And she had some pretty uh, major success selling those as uh, pets around the area. A lot of people in the area really like potbelly pigs for pets. And then we started getting a lot of questions for um, pork, deprocessed pork. And we were already doing uh, other types of animals with like chicken eggs. In fact, it was kind of really like our main thing that we were doing there. So we got into um, doing, you know, the butcher raised hog, and that just really took off. There was a demand um, for that. I think there's only one other farm I really think of that's doing it at scale, and they couldn't even keep up with it. So we're running into that same issue that we don't have enough work to go around. So it's a, it's a problem, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm, I'm having a little fun with you there, and, and, and I appreciate your uh, allowing me to to, uh, to go down that path. But I, I just love the idea. I, I love talking to business owners, especially small business owners, and seeing just how you have to adapt no matter what the situation is, whether it's, okay, DJ business, we're going this direction with it, we're going that direction. Do we invest in more money or more equipment? Uh, you mentioned a warehouse, you know, all these things that you make a decision. And then when it comes to a screeching halt, to be that resilient, to be that adaptive, to say, you know what? I'm going to hang up my headphones, I'm going to turn off my turntable, and I'm going to put them overalls, and we're going to dive headfirst into to pastured pigs. I, I think that's incredible. So what, along those same lines, what was that transition like? So was it, so March is pretty much when the world came to a grinding halt. So at March, do you, do you, um, do you say, okay, it's now time, you mentioned taking this money, do you just turn around and say, okay, I think I've got an idea. Here's something I've been kicking around. Let's let's just go you know, full bore into this. Pardon the pun. Or or was it really just kind of uh, stick your toe in the water a little bit? How how quickly did you transition there? Um, it was a rather quick transition, um, just on the amount of scale that we were doing. Um, it was nothing compared to what we were doing now. So we definitely grew the pork business um, dramatically um, since March now into December. Um, it was. It was one of the best things and decisions that uh, we made at that time to do, and I'm thankful that we did. Yeah. So was this a so was this a purchase at that point of uh, obviously not breed stock because you're not did you just look and see okay what kind of what kind of weaning stock can I get growers maybe some that are even uh, mostly through their life cycle that type of thing what was your what was your opportunity there? So the opportunity um, we did know this uh, fellow pig farmer. Um, and we did buy some uh, weaning pigs and breeding stock from him as well, too. So that's how we got started um, with those pigs as well. And then um, there was a lot of um, capo pigs that came into our market as well, too. We did buy a number of those to be uh, processed, and that was a very uh, interesting experience <laughs> raising those pigs, uh, going from an indoor confined uh, you know, space to uh, being totally put out on a pasture. So that was definitely a learning experience as well, too. 
Yeah, yeah, and and, and what we had talked about before we started recording that um, that limited experience in pastured pigs. So you had uh, you had a lot of challenges there, of course. But I want to ask you, what about infrastructure? How much infrastructure investment did you need to make immediately at that point to be able to handle this? Um, infrastructure um, was um, it was it was high to begin with. Um, running, you know, hot wire and all of that um, around the property. Um, I did already previously have the land before um, this, through the pandemic, really hit. So it was, uh, that was already fenced off 80 acres. So it was really just adding hot wire and uh, grading paddock to be able to move the pigs from uh, paddock to paddock to paddock. Um, and also the infrastructure and uh, bulk feeders as well, too. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So, so you had the land already. Do you, do you reside on that 80 acres or, or is that somewhere else? Um, it, it is not. Um, we actually, it's about 15 minutes from where I live. So not a bad drive at all. I go out there daily to uh, check on them, check fears, make sure everything was going correctly how it should be. So um, it's about a 15 minute drive, but um, very easy to get to. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So, wow, yeah, there's there's like a major fork in the road here, the discussion here, and I want to cover both forks. So let's let's back up and let's talk about pink pigs. So, a, as many of us know, there was a, a flood of CAFO pigs simply because of the large production houses being shut down due to COVID, and uh, we just see this this uh, spilling over of these pigs available through uh, throughout the country. I mean, everywhere. So uh, you looked at that, you brought those pigs in. Um, Give us a give us a post mortem on that. I assume those those pigs have been processed now and have have been retired. So give us a post mortem on that. Uh, you know, the the pros and the cons of that process. Um, the pros um, they do grow quickly. Um, that was a pro. Um, that's probably about the only pro that I have um, for that is how quickly that they did grow out. The list of cons goes you know on and on. They're not you know adapted to being outdoors. Um, they're not the most friendliest pigs as well, too. They're, they don't get any interaction, you know, as our other pigs do. Um, so they were very skittish, you know, timid. They weren't the most friendliest pigs. Um, and just noticing, too, um, processing, like, uh, the, the quality of pork isn't um, where I would want it to be 100%, as some of our Hampshire Duroc mixes. Um, I think that pork is just far more superior than those ones that we had processed that came out of confinement. So a lot more cons than pros. Um, other the pro is just that they, they grew quickly and they were they very cheap to pick up. You know, with they brought them into our market. I want to say they're selling them for like thirty to forty dollars a head um, by the trailer load when they were coming through our state. So that would be the only two pros. Other than that, they they sunburn very easy and they they just don't know how to be a pig outdoors. So <laughs> they kind of you know lost that traits from just being you know bread you know it's for confinement they just they don't know how to be a pig yeah yeah and that was that was my question i was going to ask it was about the sun burning especially i assume a new mexico summer is not the most gentle situation to be in but no lots of water lots of mud <laughs> yeah yeah i bet i bet but you know again and i I can see I can see where maybe some people are grumbling right now. Oh, yeah, KFO pig. Can't believe that guy did that. But I, I respect and appreciate the leverage that that allowed you to do. So being able to bring those pigs on quickly, turn them, and, and get some cash flow, because that's what it's all about, especially when your primary source of income just went belly up overnight because of government restrictions. 
um, I appreciate that adaptability to leverage and of course seeing that this is an ends to a means to get to where you want to be. So you now, or you prefer now to have this Hampshire Duroc mix, correct? Correct. Yeah, tell us about and, that. Um, I did fail to mention as well to um, one of the cons as well too. Um, they made me a quick uh, learner and a believer in biosecurity to our farm as well too. Uh, yeah. um, so uh, we did end up bringing in a respiratory uh, pneumonia into our pigs um, with those pigs, unfortunately. So we had a bout of pneumonia going through. So definitely uh, made us, you know, rethink biosecurity and all the other things that take place with biosecurity of quarantining pigs and not, you know, um, separating them for 30 days, not letting them be around your other stock. So, so that was a big learning curve as well. Yeah, and, and, and real quick before you go and talk about the Hampshire Dirt mix, I, I I think it's important to look at that and, and say, okay, here's here's a hard lesson learned, uh, or at least you know a lesson learned by boots on the ground, and getting that experience and saying, wow, okay, yeah, I, I get this now. It, it To me, that resonates way more than anything you can get in a book or listen to on a podcast or watching a YouTube video. Uh, so those real-life experiences really kind of resonate. So you look at that. So I assume at that point you had you had some of the KFO pigs on, but it sounds like you'd already had uh, your Duroc Hampshire mix breeding stock or, or some other stock on the farm as well. Yes, it was uh, Hampshire Duroc mixes. Okay. So why why do you, what do you like about that, or what drew you in that direction? Um, the quality of flavor, um, even having them um, processed compared to um, the KFO pigs that we had. Just uh, getting that meat back from the processor, just uh, the color of the meat, uh, the marbling, it was just a night and day difference and uh, the quality. And you could, you could see it um, just looking first without even having to taste it. You could, you could see the major difference between the two. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, Hampshire Duroc mix is something I've raised for four or five years and just recently switched for, for other reasons. I was always happy with the production you know, the tail end of the uh, of the process, the getting the meat back, the quality of meat, the amount of meat, the fact that I could finish a hog, a solid hog in seven months. I was getting, you know, 350-pound hogs, a little bit more than I should have. But, uh, they you know, grow quick. They do. They do, and they produce well. What I've discovered, what I discovered here for our farm is just this is really hard on the pasture, and we have a lot of topography uh, you know, changes, undulations with hills and, and mountainsides. So it was really tough for us just because they seem to be a little bit heavier on the ground. But um, so you, you've you've finished out, I assume you've, you've had one full cycle of Duroc Hampshire mix since the spring. Uh, how, how many of those did you process this year so far? Uh, the Hampshire Duroc mixes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to say we processed close to either 52 or 53 of those. So, so you ain't fooling around here, and that—that's that's another thing I like about this is—is is that when it was time to go, it was go. So, yes. So, uh, so let's let's unpack that. So we'll, we've talked about the KFO pigs. Let's set those aside. So when it was time to do the Hampshire Duroc, you, you bought some breeding stock there, but I assume you also bought some some wieners. How, how many pigs did you acquire all at once of just those that breed mix? All at once, he gave us enough to get started. So I want to say originally starting um, with the weaning pigs, we were around 40-something. Then we did some breeding, um, had to tweak that a little bit, had some uh, losses um, with the litters. Um, that, I think, was due to the biosecurity that we had um, with the pneumonia. So we lost a number of 
Hollywood. So um, really starting with the wieners, and now we're really focusing on getting the breeding going um, for the pharaoh to finish on all of those. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So what is your... <clears throat> What is your sire dam setup? So when you look at your bore and your and your sows, are you are you specific staying with a specific sire line and multiple dams? Or are you looking at at trying to diversify? You've got multiple bores. What and of course, what's the genetics of each of those? So we do have three bores that we're keeping um, right now. We have the three boys and um, with. Uh, Right now, 32 gilts, um, so we have the three boys in there. We're going to see how that goes. Um, we're hoping that will be farrowing around March, we're hoping. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that'll be that'll be a good turn of pigs if you have that many settled. Yes. <laughs> so we're looking uh, to definitely raise those numbers for uh, 2021 as well, too. Um, New Mexico's not really known for pork, so we're really hoping with this to push it to kind of get to be one of the bigger producers of this state of pork and kind of get us on the map for that. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're going to stick a pin in that because I like to bring that around to the end. Uh, creature of habit here, discuss uh, you know, your, your sales side and your production side. But let's, uh, let's, let's visit the other fork in the road that I wanted to in this conversation and talk about your setup. So again, West Virginia boy, um, I, I don't know too much about the Southwest other than what I see on uh, you know, TV, of course. So tell me about what's pastured pig operation in New Mexico look like? When, we, when, when you say pasture, um, are we talking pasture grasses? Do you have good shade? Do you have silver pasture? What, what options do you have there on your property? Um, so shade, um, the only uh, shade that we have is structures that we've put up. Um, we have planted uh, numerous trees, but they're not at the point yet to provide shade. So it is uh, more prairie land with um, grasses. And um, with those paddocks that they're running through, um, a lot of them even do surprisingly have uh, cactus in them as well, too. And the pigs really, really love cactus. They love to root it up and they eat it. You think they want it with a, a needle, but believe it or not, uh, they've been eating uh, cactus as well, too. They root those things up, um, which is great. You don't have to dig them out. Yeah. And then um, we do, um, once we move them from the paddock to paddock, we do um, overseed as well, too. Yeah, okay. So when you say cactus, are we talking like the the you know, the big tall ones that look like people, or the little flat uh, frying pan looking ones? <laughs> <laughs> the frying pan ones. Yeah. Um, Arizona's got those those big humongous ones, so uh, we don't have those. Thank goodness. Yeah, my 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 uh, southwestern botany ignorance is really showing itself right now. So, <laughs> so how <clears throat> that's interesting. So, what is that? And man, talk about a rabbit trail. What is that as far as a nutrition source for cactus? I know it's. It sounds like it's a nuisance plant, but are, is there nutritional value in a cactus for a pig? I honestly don't know if there's nutrition um, in the cactus for the pig, but uh, they seem to love it and go after it. Um, I don't know if it adds any flavor to the meat at all, but um, they go for that more than like the grasses, yeah. which is uh, really surprising. Until we started uh, overseeding um, with a cover crop that has like a mixture of like clover and rye and um, some oak in it as well too, along with some barley. And uh, they're really loving the overseeding, but um, when it's the native grasses, um, they really prefer to go after that cacti. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean that you may be onto something there. Uh, you know, you, you, Iberico you know, ham and you know, all that pork that's you know, acorn raised, and we talk about all that. But you know, what about cactus raised pork? <laughs> right. <laughs> Can have a total corner, a yeah, national corner. We do supplement feed as well too, so sure. we do uh, provide uh, for them 
Yeah. Okay, so overseeding your pastures, which, which I like that idea of, of incorporating um, uh, different species of grasses that they're going to enjoy and, and get more nutritional value from. What, how does that work out as far as rainfall totals go? Is this a seasonal rain for you all? Uh, you know, what's, what's kind of the average rainfall? Do you have to do a lot of watering? How does that work out? Uh, rainfall, with it being the desert, is very hit miss. Um, sometimes we're in drought. Uh, majority of the time, we are in drought. So we do do a lot of uh, supplemental watering with uh, irrigation. So that's majority how we grow. Majority of it on our pasture is with irrigation. Okay, so that's a that's a decent input there. Do you have a a resource? Is that a well? Is there a local reservoir? Where do you, where do you get that water from? Um, so we have two sources on the property. Um, there is a well as well. And then um, when it does flood, we dug out a rather large pond that's on the property. That's a flood area that's on the property. So um, we end up pumping up quite a bit of that water when we do get those flood waters, which isn't very often, but mostly it's from the well. Yeah, yeah, okay, good deal, good deal. That's that's good. It helps reduce input costs there. So um, you talked about paddocks. With, with that many hogs, um, how how is your paddock arrangement set up? Are you do you have a specific size? Are you using a wagon wheel method, an alleyway method? We are using a wagon wheel method. Very good. Okay. So I assume your topography is is decently flat, at least to to be able to. Oh yeah, well. it's definitely flat, so you can see for miles and miles in either direction. Oh well, okay. So. For those listening, I'm sure most people know what the wagon wheel method is, but that allows you to, the, the hub of the wheel allows you to centralize. Do you centralize everything, your feed, your water, your shelter? Yes, feed and water and shelter is all centralized. And then uh, we'll block, you know, paddock from paddock and let them rotate around that wheel until it comes back around. Yeah, so so that becomes, um, I assume the hub, like, like most, becomes sort of a sacrificial area. Uh, with experiencing four seasons there, what do you do in your in your or what do you, I guess maybe you're just now entering into that. So what's your plans on uh, mitigation of erosion or maybe that's not an issue there in, in your hub during your uh, during your non-growing season? So the central area that gets the most traffic, um, they do really beat that area up um, pretty bad. The centralized area there. Um, so we do kind of like a deep bedding method in that central area of that wagon wheel that's uh, laying down tons and tons of wood chips that we have access to. So that kind of really helps. And then we do take those out um, with the tractor and make compost heaps. So we're really building the soil as well, too, and we're spreading that. And we change that deep bedding out from that central area. Yeah, love that. Yeah, to me that's... That's the beauty of that, of having a sacrificial area, because it does allow you to, to build all of that, that great soil, that great compost, and, and then having a system in place to move it around. Uh, yeah, it becomes, becomes its own factory at some point, so that's, that's a good deal. All right, so let's let's go on down the process. So you talked about your your supplemental feed. How how does that work out? And with New Mexico, sounds like it's not a big pig area. What are you doing for feed? Is it local feed sources? Do you have to travel for that? What's what's your ratio or ration that you're putting out? Absolutely. So um, we're not in a corn belt. So uh, corn, cracked corn, actually goes uh, pretty extensive here. A lot of uh, people have spoken to back but uh, usually it's about uh, $14 per uh, 100 pounds uh, for cracked corn. So wow. yeah. we don't do uh, too much cracked corn. We do feed uh, hog pellets that uh, does get shipped in from uh, Canada. 
So I, I assume, obviously, with the operation size you have, how do you, how are you all storing that? Do you do you have uh, bins? Do you have large hoppers, silos? What do you? Yes, we do have large bins that we do store that in, and then uh, with the tractor, we do take you know the hoppers and fill up the feeder with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, you talked about so you're obviously in your wagon wheel setup. You're using electrified fence. Do you have um, do you have any backbone or perimeter fence as a as a as a backup or uh, how what do you, what do you, what's your fence setup? So the other fence that's ran around uh, the property is a barbed wire. It's a five strand barbed wire. I haven't had any escapes. Uh, thank goodness um, from the electric fence. They 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 pretty much learn to respect that uh, pretty quick. We run it pretty hot. So, um, well, let's 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 move back over that uh, that topic we stuck a pin in. Let's take that pin out and talk about that. So, so the thing I find fascinating, of course, again, is is this discovery of a market. Now, in the spring and early summer of COVID, everyone thought the world was coming to an end. So, there became this uh, hoarding, food acquisition thing. Do you do you think that your market right now is? What's the percentage of that that was reactionary, and what do you think is going to be sustainable post-COVID? Or does it seem like there's just no end in sight? Um, I, there was a lot of panic buying. Um, a lot of our grocery stores um, were low on meats and eggs and everything else. So there was definitely a lot of panic buying, but um, I think our market will sustain everything that we are doing. Um, we're still getting calls daily. When will you have pork ready? When will you have pork ready? So... Um, definitely, I we should be able to sustain the numbers that we're looking at and continue to grow the business through that. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive into that a little deeper. So, right now, are are you doing? Do you have a processing schedule? Are you doing a small amount of processing on a regular rotation? Are you are you doing a big bulk process? Uh, we do a big bulk um, processing. So we do sell retail cuts and we do do uh, holes and halves as well too. Um, so the retail cuts, um, we do get those processed in a USDA facility. Unfortunately, here in New Mexico, uh, there's only uh, two USDA processors, hmm. but um, they do not do um, like some of the standard stuff. They don't do like bacon or certain types of things with sausage or smoking. So we do actually um, travel with those pigs to uh, Amarillo, Texas, um, to have those processed there. The USDA retail cuts and bring those back. But um, to avoid um, here in New Mexico, we do do a lot of the holes and halves as well, too. So we have a lot of people that buy the holes and halves. Yeah. So with your holes and halves, most likely state inspected or, or custom exemption, that they can they can then do the post-processing, the, the smoking, the curing, those type of things. But then, Correct. But you're going to Texas to get your retail cut. So what kind of drive is that to Amarillo? Uh, from where we're located, it's about a two and a half hour drive. Well, that's not too bad then. Yeah. No, not too bad. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so with this bulk process and retail cuts, what do you think right now your percentage of custom holes and halves to retail is as far as your total production run? Um, definitely sell more uh, retail cuts than uh, holes and halves. Um, with holes and halves, um, I, I find it's a little bit harder, you know, educating like the customer um, of the cost. You know, when uh, most people see that upfront cost, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking to them. So you 
of the education goes into that with the holes and halves of, you know, then rather a sticker shock that's going to apply, really educating the customer. So retail cuts definitely uh, full our sell right now compared to uh, the holes and halves. Yeah. Okay. So, so bringing those retail cuts back from Texas, then do you have, uh, do you have a large freezer? Do you just have uh, multiple residential style walk-in? How are you managing that? So uh, when we did uh, first start getting the cuts back, uh, we did buy a number of the stand-up freezers before everybody started panic buying those. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then um, we were just like, okay, we definitely need more room. So we've actually switched over to uh, commercial freezers. Um, so at my house, I don't even have pretty much a garage anymore. It's all commercial freezers <laughs> at this right. point. Um, so that's pretty much taken over my uh, whole garage there is a bunch of retail freezers so awesome okay so so let's look at that so the freezers are full you're doing the majority of your processing in in cuts and you're, and you're doing them in large batches it sounds like so what what does that customer acquisition look like for you how did that start and then how are you maintaining that existing customer base and new customer base so um, starting was with uh, farmers markets, um, believe it or not. Um, our governor was gracious enough not to shut down uh, the farmers markets, uh, shifting those potential. So that's really where our meat sales kicked off and then building a customer base just off of, you know, uh, having people sign up with our email subscription list and then just growing that from the, the two markets that we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Two two key things there. So first, let's talk about the market. So you you use the word market. So I assume were you were you doing multiple markets? Were they multiple days through the week, or was this one gig on one weekend type of thing? So uh, the markets that we have here, one is on a Saturday, and the other is on a Sunday. Hmm. So it was on the weekends. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 allows you to not tie up your entire week at the market while you still got to manage farms. Um, so that's good. So, yeah, and again, I, I neglected to ask you this from the, back at the very beginning. Patrick, are you a one-man show? Do you have help with this? Um, my wife and uh, my kids help when they, they want to. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, but <laughs> it's mainly just me and my, my wife at this point. Wonderful, wonderful, good. Okay, so um, the other the other thing you mentioned was, uh, so the markets, getting customer base from there, and and man, if, if you know, this is where I put on my uh, my my business hat, my my marketing company hat, and say, I, I love what you pointed out there with emails. And people think emails have gone the way of the dodo, but man, when it comes to repeat communication with a customer base that's done business with you, that is the way to go. And it it, it really is. Um, and one of the things uh, that kind of gave us a one-up in our market as well, too, is coming from a different business background, is I learned a lot of farmers, um, they're not people people. They, you know, <laughs> they would rather stay on their farms. I've learned that. Right, right. And a lot of the farmers, um, they don't market. Um, I, I can't believe in, in our area, even some of our main competitors, um, um, their websites need a lot of work. Um, their social media presence is, is very, you know, poor. Um, so coming from that background from my other business and just um, having that marketing as well, too, I think really helped us put us light years ahead of a lot of our competitors. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that speaks volumes. And I, and I love to hear you say that because sometimes I feel like I just talk out of the side of my head into a microphone. But I'd love to hear you say that about 
just just experiencing the the deficiency that most people have, but the need to apply that and, and see that all the way through that we want to say, okay, if, if I do a good job raising a quality animal and get it quality processed, feed it the right things, give it all the attention it needs, then I should be successful. But that can fall flat on its face if you don't give that same attention to how you represent your farm and your product to your potential customers out there. Correct. And a lot of, you know, uh, farmers, they'll, they'll make it easy to buy their products. I learned that as well, too. Um, we're currently having our website revamped. Um, we should hopefully have our new website up within uh, the next three weeks, we're hoping. But we're having a new beautiful uh, website design. But a lot of farmers make it very hard to find their products or, you know, talking more about them and their farm and, and their practices. And, and most consumers, they just want to know, where can I find your meat and how can I buy your meat, you know? Yeah, yeah, excellent. So let me ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Two things. So going back to the farmer's market. So I can't help but think when, um, when I think of Patrick's setup at the farmer's market to sell his pork and to get people's attention and the fact that you have a warehouse full of DJ equipment, that's got to be the most hip farmer's market setup in the world, man. It's got to be like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's uh, funny that you actually say that. So, um, coming from the DJ background, um, every year we do, we're do we doing massive bridal shows. And that's all about presentation, you know, uh, the wedding shows, how your display is set up, how your booth is set up, how to, you know, get people into the booth. So, it was taking pretty much all that information from those wedding shows and putting that into our farmer's market booth. So um, I definitely think we had a very nice booth at the <laughs> farmer's market that stood up. So that definitely gave us a leg up coming from that background of just how to have, you know, presentation tables set up, how to draw people into a booth, right. um, how to get people in and out quickly as yep. well. Yeah, there, there's definitely an art to that. And you know, whether, yeah. you have, you know, whether you have a a ton of DJ equipment and all that experience, it's definitely something worth looking into and just uh, understanding the science of, of attraction. You're getting people to see the visuals. And like you said, even traffic flow, getting people to come through and move on. Because the last thing you want is to be in a market where you've got a lot of people in line and people coming in and say, oh, wow, yeah, I'd like to get some stuff and I ain't waiting in line that long. So being able to move people through, this even comes down to your POS systems, you know, your point of sale, how, how am I going to transact? You know, am I am I going to take that credit card fee? Am I going to absorb that because I want to be as user friendly as possible? So, yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff, and I, it sounds like we need to do a that needs to be on my list of of doing a podcast episode that focuses just on on market setups. But so one more question I want to ask you, and and, and this is this is actually putting you on the spot. Uh, so when people come into your market and in your farmers market booth, and you're you're looking to capture that email, give me. Give us the details of how you convince people to turn loose of their email address. So we did a couple different things. Um, like I said, from uh, coming from the wedding shows, um, on one of our tablets we actually had a little kind of, um, it was a game, it's kind of like an automatic like spin wheel, that, like if you were to spin a wheel, but it was on a tablet. And they could win certain discounts and whatnot for, you know, putting in their information. So that was one way that we tracked it. And then offering uh, discounts and then recipe ideas as well, too. Um, we couldn't believe how many people, um, you know, go for certain cuts of pork. And we just learned that um, a lot of people had to be, like, educated on different cuts of pork and what they could do with it. Um, I think we were one of the first kind of in our market to really push um, a pork burger. Um, back, you know, down south and 
Yeah, yeah, and I love that. I love the idea of, of A, the, the, the element of activity. You're, you're drawing people in with something fun, uh, you, but you're using that for, for business standards. You're, you're, you're getting a data capture there. And, you know, I, I think about you know, for anybody listening that's trying to wrap their brain around that, I, th- I think it's pretty, pretty elementary. But maybe if, if, if maybe it's not for you, think about right now if I said, OK, if everybody goes to my website, redtoolhouse.com, hits the contact form there. Anybody that signs up, uh, you're basically going to register to win a Pastured Pig podcast hat. And I'm going to do a drawing here in three days and we're going to give away that hat. So if you want to be in the drawing for that, just go to the website, fill out their little registration form and you know, we'll draw your name for that hat. So just that simple mechanism right there has provided a data capture opportunity for you. So that's what I love about what you're saying there is people that come in, if they buy from you, they may or may not give you your email address, even if they're a customer. So you have that vehicle in place, but then even people that are coming around just being tire kickers right now. Well, I'm not quite sure. You know, I'm not, I don't know what to do with ground pork. Oh, yeah, but I'll spin the wheel. That's kind of fun. I'll do that. Here, here's my information. So not only is it an opportunity to communicate with existing customer base, but it's an opportunity to onboard new potential customers that come through. Oh, sorry, I got on my soapbox there, but uh, but no, I I love I love the fact that you have that in place, and I think um, yeah, this is me talking from across the country here and not even seeing you face to face, but I think that is what you can attribute a lot of your business success to, and the fact that you're able to ramp up this way that your customer base is there, they know what product you're producing, and they know how to reach out to you, and and they know to expect to hear communication from you as well. Yes. And, um, you know, there, there is probably, you know, tons of uh, other farmers that are, are gathering some type of contact list as well, too. But, you know, the, the art is really in the follow-up as well, too. Cause, you know, on average, it takes about six to seven, you know, exposures just to sometimes get somebody to, you know, open an email. So right. some people will be like, well, I sent out an email and, you know, I did it once and I, I, did, I didn't get anything. So, um we were able to, to take the, that information and use uh, some of the software tools I carried over from my, my other business, you know, to automate those those emails and automate, you know, the contact stuff coming in. So you're not having to live out of the computer. You can simply automate it and make your life simple and your, you know, website or whatnot making you money while you sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So speaking of website, one more question, and we'll, we'll get off the marketing kick here, but one more question. So you're developing a new website. Are you going to provide online retail cut sales through your website? Yes, we will be. So uh, the website we have right now is a real generic one that I, I want to say I threw together um, through one of the, the sites. I forget who it was. Um, so it's a real generic one that we have now, but um, we didn't really know how successful and how it was going to go. So I'm actually investing, you know, and having the new Yeah, so that was going to be my next question because this is this is the part that uh, you, know, you always find tricky with online sales when it comes to uh, food products like this, where weight is is a key point. So you know you can say, okay, we've got pork chops all day long, but uh, my package of pork chops, there's hardly any of them that weigh the same weight. So your weight based pricing 
uh, the way to get around that well is by doing these boxes and these package prepackaged deals or by doing your own categories. There's multiple ways to do it, but it sounds like that's how you're handling that is by doing these these box packages. Right. So and that's one of the things, uh, funny that you mentioned that, one of the kinks that uh, me and my wife are uh, currently working on. As you said, you know, uh, one pork, uh, pack of pork chops weighs, you know, uh, different weight than another. So that's one way we're looking at um, on how we're going to price structure that as well, too. So um, definitely I'll have to let you know when we uh, come to 100% uh, you know, agreement, me and her on that, on how we're going to price, you know, like uh, the CSA uh, meat tray box. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen uh, various situations. We run into that, too. We, we also do pastured poultry here on, on farm, so we run into that as well. And uh, you discover that you can you can do some of these groupings and some categories to say, and for chicken, maybe pork chops you could as well. I haven't, haven't really thought about it much for pork chops, but this, this range that for uh, X amount of dollars, you're going to get three packs of pork chops that range in this price or this weights, weight category and, and allow people to buy you know, the, the mid or the, the small, the mid and the heavy uh, pork chop packages based upon that. And that at least gives you variety in, uh, in being able to sell online, but you don't have to have this uh, a product for every single pack of pork chops you have. And that's that's where the, the issue comes on a website is if you've got you know, 300 packs of pork chops, is that 300 inventory items you've got to put on your website? Right. So um, we were talking about the ranges, and that's probably what we're going to get um, go with is, you know, I'm going to be a, a weight around this. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, that comes back to, as you mentioned earlier, is educating the customer to make sure they understand what indeed they're getting for that price. And, right. and, and you find a way to value add things. If people have a hard time wrapping their brain around it, then you just find a way to value add that with some other some other element that's a low cost for you. And then um, also throughout this all, too, you know, and like I said, jumping, you know, feet first in, um, I definitely have to give uh, credit to you and your YouTube channel and Jordan Green as well, too. Um, so your, your YouTube channel and your podcast and Jordan Green's as well, too, just the information that we absorbed and learned from that um, was oh, definitely a, a huge helper for us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, I, I, man, I, I got to say, I, I'm mention my name with Jordan Green name I'm very humbled and flattered by that because that uh, Jordan Green is obviously doing it as, as, as scale that's just just makes mine look like a you know look like I'm playing with toys over here but I'd, I'd love I love what you can glean from Jordan and uh, we had Jordan on the podcast so if you guys listen if you haven't listened to that one then by all means go back and do so if I was if I was a good podcaster, I'd have that number right here, but I don't. But just search Jordan Green, you'll find it. But uh, but yeah, I, I, again, that's what I love about. That's why I love doing the podcast is is just to share this information because I learn from every single person I talk to. I learn something that I can possibly apply apply to my operation. I learn all the time that I would love to do a wagon wheel. It's just my land doesn't allow me to do so. <laughs> right. <laughs> drives me crazy. Well, you kind of got to roll with what you have, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely. Your videos, your guys' videos, um, it was uh, particularly one of the videos when you were breaking down uh, the cost. I believe it was like three hogs of uh, the profits and then yeah. um, also watching Jordan's video of, um, yeah, I believe it was like 400 pigs on scale. And that's when we were really kind of like, hey, we, we can do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It, 
it's not as simple as saying, well, if I raise two hogs, I can raise 200 hogs. But, but, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but, a, lot, a lot more work comes with it. Exactly. But there is a scalability thing there. It's like, wow, okay, th- this can scale up pretty quickly, and I do have to do more work and put more infrastructure in, but it's still, you know, you know two pigs, 200 pigs, they still act the same way. You just got to be able yeah. to handle them on a larger size. So, Absolutely. Excellent. Well, great, man. I appreciate it. I'm not going to... I can talk your ear off here, but uh, I, I want to ask you, um, what is your what is your long term goal? I mean, uh, this is you're, you're moving at light speed. You're on the Enterprise doing warp nine. It sounds like so. So how do you how do you even forecast next year or the next five years in this circumstance? So um, we're actually planning on um, growing the farm um, with uh, the COVID. Like I said, never in a million years that I think my my uh, first production business would be shut down through the government orders. Um, I've learned, you know, people still have to eat three times, you know, a day. So um, it's definitely um, job security and agriculture. So we are going to, like I said, continue to scale, but um, we are going to be um, adding broilers into the mix as well, too, um, turkeys. Since we were doing the pork, um, gosh, we've been bombarded. Hey, do you do chicken? Do you do duck? Do you do turkey? Um, do you offer lamb, goat? Um, so there's a lot of different things we can venture into, and uh, we are going to, for the 2021 year, um, really get involved in the broilers um, because there is a huge market for that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I and I love that we turn around, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's the first thing that you know, pops in my mind, and that was our real motivation is the cash flow. You know, eight-week window from chicks coming from the hatchery to uh, ending up in a freezer is is fantastic, and that cash flow is extremely helpful. That use, you know, I utilize that to really help do um, things that I want to do more with the pigs because, you know, when you look at a you know, seven-month cash flow, that's a little different. Of course, and if you're doing beef, then, my goodness, you're looking at, you know, what, 16 to, months to 24 months cash flow. So that really becomes um, becomes a great opportunity there when you diversify, and, and we definitely need to do a, a podcast episode about that as well as polyculture on a, on a pig farm. So, Yeah, and we love the fact that um, our birds don't have to be uh, USDA processed here. Uh, we can fall under, I believe, a 20,000 bird limit. Yeah. So um, that was very appealing to us as well, too. So yeah, we have that same option here in West Virginia. It's all it, it becomes very very handy. Well, all right. Well, Patrick, let me ask you. Let me close out with a question I ask everyone, and you're not going to escape it either. Is what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? How smart of an animal they are! <laughs> I never realized how smart they were, and um, they're almost kind of like people. They all have different personalities and. Just how excited they see, you know, when I pull up in my truck every day, how, you know, they're running and making parking sounds, and they're just so excited. Um, they're an awesome animal to be around, and they get a bad rap from a lot of people from thinking, you know, they're filthy animals, but they're extremely clean and intelligent. They're just fun to be around. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. They are just a fascinating animal, and and uh, definitely personality, you know, just... You can go to look at any pig. Like I, I think of this, my sows that I have. It's like, okay, this one has this personality and this temperament. This one has that, and and yeah, I could, I could just, if I was blindfolded and had to interact with the two sows, I could tell you exactly which was it, which just by, you know, the way they interact, the way they they you know, grumble, the way they even kind of you know, push me around a little bit, go in between my legs to to get ear scratchings, that type of stuff. It's 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 really neat. They are fascinating animals. 
right. Well, Patrick, if people want to find out more about your operation, and obviously um, this this new website, I'm sure we all want to check it out when it rolls out. Um, we're actually recording this in mid-December, so when it goes live, his website may actually be live by the time this goes out. So uh, what's that URL that people can check out? It will be MilliganRanchNM.com. MilliganRanchNM for NewMexico.com. Very good. Correct. Any other uh, online presence where they can check you out? Um, Facebook and Instagram, uh, same handle, uh, Milligan Ranch uh, NM on both uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. So am I the only one that, after hearing that, I kind of think of pastured pig house party or fairween barn house party, kind of the you know, pigs on one side and you're going on with it. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, I really enjoyed that conversation with Patrick. Um, it's interesting. You see that business acumen, having experience in business, how that does translate. You know, he, he's not selling mad beats anymore. <laughs> he's, selling, he's selling pork, but there's a lot of things that carry over. A lot of the experiences that he has in having a successful business pre-COVID have transferred over and allowed him to kind of kick it into high gear. So, Man, I, I pray he has great, uh, great success with that. And uh, who knows? After after the COVID thing starts to to subside, maybe he does both. Maybe he's uh, maybe he is the disco pig farmer. We'll see. Well, again, I appreciate everyone listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with hopefully another great episode. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. That literally was a situation uh, last um, couple weeks ago. We had the we had severe flooding, so. Uh, <laughs> It hampered some of our activities. Uh, keep in mind, remember, if you've got a vet, APB for vets, just uh, go to past, <laughs> go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pastured Pig podcast link. There's a little form there. You can drop me a line and let me know if you've got a veterinarian that uh, you think would be willing to talk, or just simply email me, Troy, at Red Toolhouse, and we'll get the ball rolling there. Also, just if you've got any other topics you'd like to discuss, go over then uh, then we'll definitely do that. I'm, I'm always open to some great suggestions. Don't forget about uh, Patreon. Feel free to, uh, to go to the, our link and get more details of what we've got going on there. Even if you just uh, contribute at the $5 level, that would really be helpful. It's, it's going to allow us to invest in some of these uh, things that have monthly costs and the things that we want to expand. So it would be great if you could do that. Well, I pray everyone have a great week out in the pasture. I hope things are warming up. You all up in New England, I hope maybe some of that snowbank is melting and you guys will hopefully see some ground soon. All right, take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, 